0: Come on, red light.
1: All and I had to stop it. There we go. Okay. Yeah, the good thing is, is wow. I had to stop it so many times and I just said, you know what, I'm just going to listen the whole thing. May your unfailing <laughs> I mean, love come to me, O oh Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then I will answer the one who taunts me, for I trust in your word. Do not snatch the word, truth, from my mouth, for I have put my hope in your laws. I will obey, I will always obey your law, ever and ever. I will walk about in freedom for i have sought out your precepts speak of your statutes before kings and will not be put to shame for i delight in your commands because i love them lift my hands to you your commands which i love and i meditate on your decrees never said where i was supposed to say beginning bob is a tent peg to add secure hook there you go. Okay. We got Tom coming in and I think verse the bridge is 45 uh, he he said something else, but that's the verse for for my daughter's granddaughter goes to school.
0: What's that? I walk in walk liberty. In liberty. I that's in liberty. right. Your daughter goes to Liberty. Hello, how y'all doing there? Okay, we gotta we gotta open us in prayer here and uh we'll just make a general prayer as people are walking in. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the chance to come in here and to uh, meet in your presence and we see Thomas back safely from a trip up north and uh, we thank you thankful for that and we're uh, certainly in prayer for Paul and Lord you know all of the people that have emailed over the past week with many many trials and difficulties and uh, we've got our sister Ruth down in uh, Trinidad whose eyes are still giving her trouble and uh, the list is long Lord we try not to uh, skip anybody and we would so you know who they are and we just uh, ask that you be with them and help them through their troubles. And um, and we thank you for the chance to open your word and to explore it and to share it with others. We thank you for this church and what a blessing it is to have such a wonderful group of believers and uh, those that are online as well. It's such a wonderful thing to be able to share in your word with people like this and what an honor it is. So we thank you for these things. We love you, Lord God, you are so good to us. And we just commit this uh, service to you and we praise you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Um, I, I want to know, you know, I've been reading this on Sunday mornings. Do we want to do this on Thursday too? Sure. Okay. Anybody it's else? All right by
1: me. Okay.
0: All right. It, I, it's, I know it's a Bible study, but this is such a wonderful book that uh, I will in just one second. I just wanted to get a, a permission uh, from somebody and somebody said yes. So today is going to be um, 30 November. And um, for those of you who don't attend here on Sunday morning, shame on you. Um, What this is, is it's a uh, annual, it's a daily devotional type of thing, but it's something that happened in Christian history on this day. And... If we were to just do it on Sundays, it would take forever to get through this book. And so I want to start reading them, if I remember, on Thursdays as well. And I know that it will bless you. So it's not a part of the Romans, but I I can't help but thinking that people will enjoy it. Now, before I do that, I want to uh, thank somebody named Shay who uh, sent me a shirt. And every time I've thought about it this week, it's actually made me cry because of how cute it is. You know, we, we have idols in the world. We have... Superman is the guy that we grew up with, and we love Superman, or or um, the Incredible Hulk, and um, it, it, it's just so cute. It's such a cute shirt. That here's what it has: it's got um, it's got Spider Man hanging upside down, and it's got um, Batman. And I think that's Iron Man, Captain America. It's got the Incredible Hulk, and some guy here. I don't know who this is, and then Superman, and in the middle is Jesus, and it says. And this is how I saved the world. So it's really yes. wonderful. So he's, he's giving them a little bit of lesson about uh, about who the real superhero is. So anyway, I got to thank Shay. Something my hair's standing up all week long. I've been. I start thinking. I get choked up thinking about how wonderful it is. I'm
1: thinking about how you're going to get out of with that
0: shirt. Yeah, yeah, I might not. I, I might get beaten up for the shirt. So okay, I'm going to read you um, November 30th. This day in Christian history. Almost everything in life pales in comparison to our love for our children and grandchildren. Dwight Lyman Moody, born in 1837, was the greatest evangelist of his day. He preached to more people than any of his contemporaries and was the catalyst of great revivals, not only in the United States and Canada, but also in England, Scotland, and Ireland. Yet what meant more to Moody than his evangelistic ministry was his family. He had three children, Emma, Will, and Paul Dwight. The arrival of his grandchildren brought brought Moody special joy. The first two, Will's daughter Irene and Emma's daughter Emma, were born in 1895. Moody loved them dearly. The arrival of his namesake, Dwight Lyman Moody, in November of 1897 would add to his delight. But no one could foresee that his beloved grandchildren would soon precipitate his final crisis. On November 30th, 1898, while in Colorado... Moody received a telegram that stunned him. Little one-year-old Dwight, his pride and joy, had died. Heavy with grief, Moody wrote to the sorrowing parents, I know Dwight is having a good time and we should rejoice with him. What would the mansions be without children? He was the last to come into our circle and he is the first to go up there. So safe, so free from all the sorrow we are passing through. I thank God for such a life. It was nearly all smiles and sunshine. And what a glorified body he will have and with what joy he will await your coming God does not give us such strong love for each other for a few days or years but it is going to last forever and you will have the dear little man with you for ages and ages and love will keep increasing the master had need of him or he would not have called him and you should feel highly honored that you had anything in your home that he wanted I cannot think of him as belonging to earth the more I think of him the more I think he was only sent to draw us all closer to each other and up to the world of light and joy I could not wish him back if he could have all earth could give him dear dear little fellow I have no doubt that when he saw the Savior he smiled and as he did when he saw you and the word that keeps coming to my mind is this it is well with the child Thank God Dwight is safe at home, and we all, we will all of us see him soon, and he wrote your loving father, D.L. Moody. Mm -hmm. The following March, little Irene fell ill with tuberculosis, and by August, she was wasting away. Moody brought Will, his wife, May, and little Irene into his home to offer any help he could, but nothing could be done to save her. To their great sorrow, Irene died just eight months after her baby brother at the funeral moody unexpectedly rose and spoke of elijah waiting in the valley of jordan so many years ago for the chariot of god to take him home again the chariot of god came down to connecticut valley yesterday morning about half past six and took our little irene home grief weighed heavily on his grandfather's heart and just four months later dl moody himself was the one who was dying he revived momentarily and said what does all this mean i must have had a trance i went to the gate of heaven." Why it was so wonderful, and I saw the children. His son, Will, asked, Oh, Father, did you see them? Moody answered, Yes, and I saw Irene and Dwight. Moments later, he was with them. So it says, Have you experienced the loss of someone close to you? Can Grief can be such an overpowering obstacle in our lives that it can seem impossible to overcome. The enormity of Moody's grief at the deaths of his grandchildren was matched only by the depth of god's comfort bring your loss to him and accept his comfort and it ends with the lord still waits for you to come to him so he can show you his love and compassion for the lord is a faithful god that's isaiah 30 verse 18
1: well that's the best kept secret in the world that he was from connecticut yeah
0: i i had no idea about that i i had no idea until that right there um let's see here yeah we got a couple connecticut folks here so uh, we're going to be in Romans 8, hi Pat, hi Cindy, verse uh, 34, At we're getting, we're, uh, we're, we're just, what's that? At 33, At 33 circled. Um, you had 33 circled? Mm-hmm. I, hang on a second here, I hope not because I don't have 833 here and we're just going to have to skip right through it, but we'll just make it a um, hang on a sec, Eight. Oh, I'm in the book of Revelation. Helps to be in the right R. Hello. I'm wondering why isn't there an 834, but Romans 8, verse 34. um, Hang on a second here. 833. um, He who shall bring a charge against Yeah, we did do 33. I know we did, because uh, who will bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. And I know we talked about that. But um, before we get into Romans, once a month I uh, go through... Obviously I talk about this every month, the Table Talk magazine and it ended today. And so I've got one page out of last week, last month it was Baptism that was all messed up. This one is completely different. Um has nothing to do with baptism, but I thought that I would ask you if you could see what I was thinking about and uh what what particular uh doctrine in the Bible I was thinking about when I read this devotional. So I'm gonna read you a part of that. I'm gonna start up at uh, second paragraph and it says, um, we are talking about the distinction between God's revealed will and his hidden will, which is alluded to in today's passage. So God has a revealed will and he has a hidden will. Now I'm going to read down to the bottom. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, God has revealed some things to us, but other things he has kept secret. It says the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things uh, which he has revealed to us belong to us and our children, etc. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... Um, we speak of the Lord's revealed will which consists of what he has told us about himself and his ways in Scripture often we call the revealed will of God his pre or preceptive will or will of precept because it reveals his commandments or moral law okay he's revealed his moral law to us the revealed will of God shows us what he finds pleasing in itself and it is a picture of his moral character okay the secret will of God is also known as god's decretive will or his will of decree and it consists of his eternal plan for all creation we know everything down to the smallest detail has been foreordained by our creator okay this includes even the evil acts of moral agents such as human beings and angels thus the will of decree includes things that god does not find pleasing in and of themselves god has allowed us to do certain things. He knows that we're going to do those things, and yet he allows them because they come to a good end in his redemptive plans. In other words, the brothers of Joseph took Joseph and threw him into a pit and sold him off to Egypt. They did evil, but what they did for evil, God intended for good to save many alive, right? So we know that. We, We know that evil, God can use evil, even though he doesn't ordain the evil, he can use the evil to bring about a good end. And it will always be that case. There's never a time that evil will triumph. Any evil in the world is always being worked towards a good end. Okay? There's no doubt about that. So um, we have here uh, this includes the evil act of moral agents. And it says, God ordains these things so that he can work in and through them for our good and for his glory. Same thing as Joseph, for our good and God's glory. All right? Both of which he does find pleasing in themselves the secret will of God can never be violated. What he has ordained will always come to pass. Our creator's revealed will, however, is violated every time someone breaks his moral law, okay? We cannot know in advance the details of the Lord's hidden will. Our knowledge of it comes after that fact. In retrospect, we can look back on events and know that God has ordained them in his secret will. Now, here's... The last sentence, I've got it underlined, and I want to see if you can figure out where I'm going with this. This is why it is futile to search for God's hidden will, the details of our lives that are yet to come. Instead, we are to learn God's revealed will and make our decisions according to
1: it. I choose... Predestination, exactly. Right?
0: It completely blows away their argument on predestination that we are regenerated in order to believe and then we believe. But they table talk. They, they always get themselves into a box. That's exactly right. He got that first time. Let me read it again. This is written by Burke Parsons. He was one of the Backstreet Boys years ago, and now he's in the ministry. Okay, that is why it is futile to search for God's hidden will. We can't do it because God has a hidden will. We're not going to know what he wants, so why try to guess, okay? He says, the details of our lives that are yet to come. Don't bother. We don't know what's coming. All we can do is just put it in the Lord's hand and say, Lord, the future is in your hands, Mm -hmm. and I know that you're in control. He said, instead, we are to learn God's revealed will. That means... Here's God's revealed will. This is it right here. This is God's revealed will for us. We are to learn that and make our decisions according to it. Right there, that blows away his own argument about predestination. Because if this is God's revealed will and somebody says, oh, I need to be saved. And in order to be saved, I need to call on Jesus. That is God's revealed will. You see that? Everything that they do in their commentaries... Always backfires because they have taken the Calvinist scan which is completely incorrect. So my comment at the bottom was sounds a little like an allowance for free will. Yes. Jim Peck did exactly. So there you go. That's. Uh, I just thought that I share that with you. That's the only thing in the table talk that I found odd this month. You know, there I, I didn't read all month long. A, I, I missed a, a couple days. Magazine. It's a monthly, and they do a daily thing, and then they have wow. other things at the beginning, like you know, uh, church history and it's very good if as long as you know not to get sucked into bad doctrine and they have bad doctrine in there as well. But it is a good um, thing. I read it, I learn, and I also am able to process why I believe what I believe when right. I read things like that. Right. Obviously. So um so I, you I have, have no... to send them Romans eleven thirty absolutely
1: 1130. Go ahead. Uh, you, you want to read go ahead all the depths of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God how un- unsearchable are his judgments
0: that's right and unfathomable his ways that's exactly right unfathomable <laughs> that's absolutely right oh goodness okay so that was a little bit of a diversion We're we're uh, starting Romans now I know that took a while but this Christian history if anybody online doesn't want that email me and I'll consider not putting in, but I think it's a good thing to add in. And uh, like I say, we will never get through it if we don't read it Thursdays mm-hmm. and Sundays. And uh, it, it's a great book. So, okay. Um, uh, Romans eight thirty four. I know we did 33 uh, last
1: week. So yeah, um, yeah, It, it um, deals with chosen uh, people. It's probably
0: we skip it. No? Yeah, who shall bring a uh, charge against God's elect? And that's where we talked about election before already uh, a couple of weeks ago. And the question is who will bring a charge against God's elect? Nobody. Nobody. Because God justifies us. If God justifies us, and you know, we can talk about, oh, well, that guy's not saved. He's not acting like a saved person. Listen, if the Lord saved him, he is justified and he will be accountable to the Lord. That is not our business. Mm-hmm. Um, there is something to be said that if somebody's in a church and they're not living for the Lord, then uh, Seth years ago said something very wise. He said, well, then treat him like an unbeliever and give him the gospel. Because maybe they really didn't get saved, but Mm -hmm. you know me, if somebody is saved, they can go off the deep end, and all they're going to do is lose their rewards. Uh, We're going through that in Timothy right now, with the, uh, the daily devotionals, and what he said about, what is it, Hymenaeus and Philetus. It's so absolutely clear when he says these things, that you are saved, and it is done. There is no loss of salvation, and so who will bring a charge against God's elect? Nobody god justifies okay god is not counting men's sins against them he's not imputing them their sins that's a uh two corinthians chapter five i think it's verse 19 but if you were saved the only one that's going to suffer for not living for the lord is you all right if you're the one that's not living for the lord but it says um uh verse 18 now all things are of god who has reconciled us to himself through jesus christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That's the apostles. Okay, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. In other words, if somebody posted, "Oh, it was um, you were on the, Missy posted that she was uh, um, citing Dana mm-hmm. um today." It was a wonderful quote that she posted. We are not going up to the bema seat of Christ to be judged for our sins. Our sins were dealt with at the cross mm-hmm. we are going to the bema of seat of Christ to stand in judgment for the things that we did from the time we were saved did we live for the Lord here's a reward did we not and I'm taking away a reward it is rewards and losses and that is it okay we are not being judged for sin in our lives from the moment that we are saved okay the people that are on the other side of the cross that haven't come to Christ they will be judged for sin and they will be condemned because no sinful thing can come into the presence of the Lord. If they haven't come through Christ, they are toast. But as far as this is concerned here, he is not imputing our sins to us, okay? As hard as that is to understand, because when I do something that's so obviously stupid, I think, Lord, I'm so sorry, right? I hope everybody here does as well. Mm-hmm. But that will be judged under rewards and losses. It will not be judged as sin and condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in christ no condemnation okay so everybody got that okay go ahead verse 34
1: okay who is he that condemns christ jesus who died more than that who was raised to life is at the right hand of god and is also interceding for us now
0: okay let's see here and that was kind of close to what i have here um as far as you know just written a little bit differently but very close so 834 In the preceding verse, 833, it was implied through a rhetorical question that no one could bring a charge against God's elect, okay, because it is God who justifies. In a continuation of our surety over the forces which would presume to come against us, Paul now asks his next question, who is he who condemns? We're just talking about that as well. Like the previous question, the answer demands a nobody. Nobody is going to condemn somebody that is in Christ. It is impossible and then comes the explanation, it is Christ who died, right? We can't stand in the place of the Lord and make these judgments. It's not our place to do that. Christ died for that person. If he has come to Christ, then he is saved. He is justified, and we cannot condemn them. Christ died for us. He became our substitute. His death paid our penalty, carried away our sin, and restored us to a propitious relationship with God. Everybody knows what propitious means? It's like happy, all right? God is angry at our sin. We're sinners, and God is angry at us. But then comes the atonement, and that's called the place of propitiation, okay, which in Hebrew is the Hilisterion. What that means is that God is now brought back to a place of happiness with us because of Christ. There's a propitious or a happy relationship, which is restored, all right? The Hilisterion in Greek, is the same term as the mercy seat in the Old Testament. So when the Bible says that Christ is our hilasterion, he is our mercy seat. He is our place of propitiation. Everything, you remember when we went through Exodus, every single detail of the ark, everything on the ark, the mercy seat, the wood that was used, the covering of gold, every uh, the the rods, the, the, rods, the rings, everything points to Christ in his work everything. There is not one detail that doesn't. And so that's what we're seeing here is that um, uh, Christ is our place of propitiation. Christ died for us. I'm going to read that again. He became our substitute. His death paid our penalty, carried away our sin, and restored us to a propitious relationship with God. His righteousness has been imputed to us. Sin no longer separates us from the one who created us. Okay, so i said this several months ago, and I want to see if, I I think Jim will remember this, maybe somebody else will. What is the difference between Christ imputing us his righteousness and imparting us his righteousness?
1: When you, go ahead. Yeah, I I know what happens, but I'm trying to remember what the difference is, but like basically... Well, take
0: off the ing and um, you'll remember. Impute, impart. Go ahead. Impart is it is yours and you you possess it right okay impute uh, can you explain it now
1: (laughs) yeah we don't own it it's not ours that's right it's like teflon coat around us that which is imputation yes okay
0: very good actually okay so christ imputed us his righteousness god sees us without sin it doesn't mean that we're sinless okay that is imputation we are given his righteousness If he imparted us his righteousness, that means that we would literally be without sin. We would be like Christ, and we're not now. We're still in fallen bodies. Someday we will have full righteousness. We will no longer be sinning. We will no longer be an offense. But it is Christ's imputation of his righteousness. He has justified us. We stand justified before God, even though we still sin. So the differences between imputation and impartation is just how it comes out of us. We are imputed, we are covered. But we do not possess. Okay, we do kind of not like possess. camouflage. That's You're right. You're not actually the bush,
1: but you have the bush.
0: Look, Look. That, that's a very good example. Actually, putting on camouflage is very close to it. There you go. So imputation, impartation. He has imputed us his righteousness. Sin no longer separates us from the one who created us. Okay, so who then could condemn us? It's simply not possible. And there is more. Romans four twenty five said. Furthermore, Christ is also risen. His death and resurrection take us back there to Romans 4:25. So let's go there really quickly and uh, we'll remember that. It says furthermore Christ is also risen verse 4:25. It says, "But also for us it shall be imputed to us, meaning his righteousness of verse 22, it shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who delivered who was delivered up because of our offenses" And was raised because of our justification okay we possess the righteousness of Christ in God's eyes it doesn't mean that we are actually righteous but when he looks at us he sees Christ he sees the place of propitiation he says the debt is satisfied you are justified not because you've done anything it's because Christ has done it for you he has covered your sins he has restored this relationship that's what's going on there okay not only did Christ um, died, he Christ paid our penalty, carried away our sins, and restored our relationship to God, but he was raised for our justification, Romans 4.25. The resurrection proves these things for the soul who believes. This is why Paul ties the resurrection in with our calling on Jesus in Romans 10.9. Go there really quickly. We'll be there in, in just a couple more weeks. But 10-9, it says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's no point in calling on the dead savior. If God didn't raise Jesus, then he's not the savior. Because that means that he remained in the grave, and remaining in the grave means that he had what? Sin. 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 That's right. right. The wages of sin is death. If he's still in the grave, then he ain't a savior. Right? That's why he ties these things in. We have to believe that he came out of the grave. If we don't believe that, then there's no salvation. There's there's it's the end of Christ, and Christ's atoning death meant nothing.
1: Our faith is
0: vain. That's right. Our faith would be vain. That's exactly right. So you must believe that Christ God brought Christ out of the grave. It's it's a conditional thing. That it's not a work by any way, shape, or form. It's simply faith. Faith is negated as a work in uh, Romans 3:27, I think it is. Faith apart from works. We'll go there really quickly, just so I don't want to give you the wrong it verse. Late. It is 3:27. Okay. Is yes. Where's boasting then? It is excluded by what law of works? No, but by the law of faith. So faith is not a work. It's there's no work involved in faith. It's simply believing okay so you can't say well i you you're doing something and so it's not a, a gift or whatever because people will try to pull those you know semantics over on you it is excluded as a work okay so um who would call on a dead lord who would do it but we don't call on a dead lord instead we call on the risen christ who is even at the right hand of god who also makes intercession for us as paul says what is intercession
1: it's his job
0: of, yeah, mediation. He's taking our our needs, and he's taking them up to the Father for us. We can't, no person on this planet can go directly to the Father. We have a mediator. We go through the mediator. That's all pictured in the Old Testament as well. The Old Testament says they pray, it goes through the veil and into the most holy place. Well, the veil is Christ's body, right? That's the picture of it. It says in Hebrews that... Uh, his, the veil is his body. It was torn for us. He is that way of access. Our prayers go through him and into the most holy place. So he is our mediator, okay? So um, where was I? Uh, Christ died, oh yeah, he makes intercession for us. Christ died for our sins. He was raised for our justification and is now performing his functions as our mediator and advocate. A mediator is somebody that works between two people. An advocate is one that stands and represents another, Okay, they're close, but they're not the same thing. Uh, You've got, I don't know if they can see this online, but that would be God up here, and this is us down here, and he mediates between us. We go through him, he speaks to the Father for us, and he is the one that says that everything is okay with them. An advocate would be like this. Here's the Father, here's us, and he stands next to us, and he says, I am their representative. I am defending him in court. To the father okay that's kind of the difference between an advocate and a mediator the mediator stands between the two the advocate stands on behalf of one okay
1: that's, they're both legal terms
0: they're both legal terms absolutely right, right. mediation but, is always communication between ways whereas an advocate you're basically putting your trust <clears throat> in this person right. to defend you or to stand on your behalf and, and state your case so that's the difference they're very close he's doing both roles for us at the same time mm-hmm. where is the advocate role mentioned in scripture
1: we have an advocate Father Jesus Christ the righteous. That's the Hebrews, I believe. No,
0: it's John, isn't it? I think it's John. Anyway, if you find it, uh, I think it's 1 John 4, but I could be completely wrong on that. Maybe it is Hebrews. Maybe you're right. But um, I think it's 1 John, um, the Holy One. Uh, anyway, I know it's John because I'm looking at it, and the words just bring it to mind. But you got the verse. I got the book, and we're <laughs> we're in there somewhere. But anyway, it, he is our advocate. It might be 2 John Anyway, look up the word advocate when you have time, and it's right there. He is our advocate, and he is our mediator. He does both of them. But uh, anyway, uh, anyway, I don't see it right there. On, I'm not going to spend all day on it, but if you find the word advocate in there, I think it's one, John. But anyway, And it may be in Hebrews as well, but we'll go on. He's our mediator. He's our advocate. And um, where was I? I? Don't call it. A, oh, yeah, he's a mediator advocate. He is interceding for us from the position of authority. Go ahead. First John 2.1. 1 First John 2.1. There you go. See? Hi, how are you, Nicole? Uh, good, good, good. Okay, so um, he is interceding for us from the position of authority, symbolized by the term right hand of God. Okay, now this is something that people email me about from time to time. I uh, When I said that we'll never see the Father, a couple people emailed me and they said, well, you know, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the power, right? So he's seeing God no and what you have to remember is this does not mean that god has a body and is sitting on an actual throne with jesus sitting on another throne right next to him at the right hand rather jesus is in the position of god's authority that's when it says the right hand you have to remember the bible is written in anthropomorphism in other words it's written for man so when it says the right hand of power it means that it's something that we can grasp. Most people are right-handed, we're strong in our right hand, and so it's using symbolism to show us that he is in the position of authority, right? When it says the mountains clap their hands, the mountains don't clap their hands, right? We know that. So there are certain things in the Bible that are written for our benefit, but they don't actually represent what we would have in our mind. So when it says somebody is at the right hand of power, it means that he is in the position of God's authority. But it's it's
1: a statement that lives on today. I mean, Somebody's their right hand man. Oh, absolutely. What that mean those two people might not have ever met. That's right. Seen each other. They, they, like, that's you know, exactly have given right. Give that position of authority as my right hand man. So you know, it's, it's when
0: it comes to the running of the church, we got somebody in Israel that's our right hand man, right? <laughs> and yet he's not here with him. We don't see him at all, but he's, he's in the position of what I guess you would call it um, uh, techie authority or whatever. So yeah, absolutely. I just a very good example. So okay.
1: He'll on yeah. yeah,
0: he'll be the virtual pastor. <laughs> he's a virtual pastor, um, it's something I needed a question answered this week, uh, Monday in sermon typing, and um, I'll, I'll give you just a little clue. It'll be at nine off. weeks, but there's nine a Hebrew weeks. word which is it's who, okay, and it would be like it, or the same word can be he, and it just depends if it's masculine or feminine. And I didn't know why there was something that was in this uh, sermon that I was typing on Monday. And I couldn't I know they both mean it, but I had no idea why it changed from who to he or from he to who. Uh, Yeah. Anyway. And so uh, I I emailed them. And fortunately, he had a pastor there and he had another guy and they had a little pastor's conference and they were able to answer my question very quickly. So so I got back to sermon typing. But yeah. Anyway, um, really, really interesting how the Lord will change one thing that makes a complete doctrinal exclamation. I, I, I can't wait to give the sermon. Just that one word there, that one change, is so surprising. What it, what? it And I told Sergio, I already know what he's doing. I just don't know why. And when they explained the masculine and the feminine, this one change, I was like, I know exactly why already. So, ooh, I can't wait to watch the sermon. So he gets to wait, too. Anyway. Um, sort
1: of like the, the, you always put the girl on the inside when you're walking in the side. Always. Yeah but nowadays mm-hmm. you see them on the outside I, that bothers yeah. me when I see they, that they, they, must I, be I left, they must be left handed <laughs> t-
0: that just yeah oh no. boy no I, that, that bothers me that, when I not. see that yeah. always on the inside always on the inside okay so here we go let's see here um, Jesus in the position of God's authority and because he has done all these things and because all authority has been granted to him who has done all of these things for us then how could another condemn us if Christ okay. has died for us if he has been raised for us, if he's justified us, if he's declared us not guilty, if he's our mediator, if he's our advocate, if he's all of these things, he's all of these things, how can somebody condemn us? It is impossible, not possible. What are we in? We are in Christ and fully protected from any external force which would dare attempt to do so, such as the honor and blessing of being a child of God. Once again, implicitly in that verse is eternal salvation if you are in christ christ will never work against himself he will never work against himself he has saved you he has not made an error in saving you by necessitating him to unsave you if he sealed you with the holy spirit as a guarantee and then he takes it back it's not a good guarantee all of these things come into play but right here we have an implicit reference to eternal salvation at least an implicit reference so life application no person no demon and no devil can condemn you there is a far higher and greater power who has you completely safe completely secure in the palm of his hand when you feel the accusation of satan telling you that you are not worthy remind him that though he that may be true jesus is worthy and you are in him no charge can stand against god's elect now, the devil doesn't want you to know the Bible. He doesn't want you to come to Bible study, and he doesn't want you to understand the nuances of the Bible. Because if he can defeat you in your heart and in your life, if he can do that, then he's got, he's got complete roughshod over you for your entire life. You will be a miserable soul. You are going to be one of these people that says, I know I failed the Lord, and I know he doesn't love me, and I know that, and all of these things are going to come up in your mind but if you know the word and you know that you are in Christ and meaning in Christ means that you are in Christ you are a part of him you are part of what he has done then Satan can't come against you you might have the worst health in the world poor poor Paul right now is suffering this but Christ has him he can't say well God must not love me anymore he's never going to say something like that because he knows that he is in Christ The devil will not win when you are in Christ. If you know you're in Christ, and if you don't, what a terrible life that is, right? right? I mean, what and what a terrible thing. When we talk about these pastors that say you can lose your salvation, and they are the ones that decide. They're the arbitrators. Yeah, they're They're the the... arbitrators. What bondage? (laughs) What absolute bondage? You know, keep coming to church and make sure you put something in the box on the way out, because if you don't, you're not being a good Christian. I've actually had people email me with that type of thing over the years. My pastor says that because I haven't given uh, enough this year, I can't be a member of the church anymore. And I think, can you imagine that? Absolutely insane. These people are living in bondage to some guy up there that is counting money instead of trying to win souls. I just, I I, I can't fathom that. I, I simply cannot fathom that. But Anyway, you know, I, I tell them, first off, you know, I get you get me going on tithing, we'll be here all night again, yeah. but I, I, that's the first thing I do, is I say, I want you to know what the Bible says about tithing. So you've thrown that out, and now I want you to know what it says about giving in the New Testament. And here's the verse, and that's all you need to worry about. Don't listen to these people, okay? Give as God has prospered you, and that is totally a personal issue. If you think that God has prospered you, and you make a hundred dollars a week, and you want to give them fifty? Great. And if you think that God has prospered you a little bit, and you're making four million dollars a year, and you give twenty bucks a, a year, great. That is your choice. You're the one that has to stand before the Lord and tell Him what you did with your life. Okay. That is not the pastor's decision. He shouldn't even be aware of what people are giving. Right. Okay. It's just somebody else should count it and say, "Here, that's there's the pay for the month." But it, it, those things should not matter. It's bondage. Don't get into that type of stuff. 835.
1: 835. Okay. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, oh boy. as it is written? Oh,
0: yep, I've oh. got to stop there. Yep, 835. Anyway, <laughs> that's okay. It's it, It's exciting. It is. <laughs> it's exciting. Another verse well worth committing to memory is found in Romans 835. Let's read it from the New King James as well. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Very close to what you read. Okay, so Paul has just explained that there is none who can condemn those who have found faith in Christ. None, all right? And Christ is not going to condemn himself. You are in Christ. He is not going to condemn himself. Done deal. Nobody outside of Christ can condemn you, and Christ will not condemn you you are now no longer under condemnation. Like I say, I keep repeating, the Bema seed of, of Christ has nothing to do with salvation and condemnation. Zero. That was dealt with when you called on Christ. Everything after that is rewards and losses. It is something that is ahead, okay? So, um, Paul has just explained there is uh, no, con- no one who can condemn. He died for our sins and was raised for our justification. And even more, as I said, he's right there at the, right hand of God interceding for us. And because of this, another rhetorical question is proposed. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? The only possible answer is no one. Thank you. Any alternative would be unthinkable. To help us think this through clearly, a list of possibilities is given which would normally separate the living. Paul gives these these possible things that could separate somebody that is alive. Okay? Tribulation. The Greek Greek word is thalipsis. This generally denotes something which applies external pressure. If one stands on a watermelon, the watermelon is going to scrunch and it's going to explode, right? External pressure can cause us to fold in, either physically or mentally, until we finally lose control. No matter what presses upon us, what leads to it is temporary it has no eternal bearing on our state before god one of my friends who used to attend here and he moved up to north carolina he emailed me yesterday actually answered it yesterday i think it was a couple days ago he emailed and he asked about somebody you all heard about the pastor that killed his uh wife and kids a week or so ago okay well killed him he says can that guy be saved and i said if he's saved he's saved and he says what about suicide what if somebody kills himself And I said, we do not know the external pressures that people face. We don't know the chemical imbalances that people go through. We have no idea those things. If you go off the deep end and you kill your family and you're saved, I hate to tell you because people will argue all day, well, they can't be saved. If they're saved, they are saved. That is what the Bible says. If they kill themselves and they are saved, they are saved. They will lose their rewards. But we don't know. We've got a doctor sitting here. He knows that people can go through all kinds of chemical changes in their lives. That It can affect you mentally. And you go out and jump off of a building. You might not have even been in your right mind at the time. We're not here to question those type of things. All I can tell you is that this Bible teaches if you were saved, you are saved. It is eternal. Okay? So... Philipsis cannot separate us from the love of God in Christ. Distress. Job. What?
1: That'd be Job. Yeah.
0: Job, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Job. Job. You know, I I love to give this one because the men always understand it. He lost his flocks, he lost his his um uh wealth, he lost his children, he lost everything except a nagging wife, right? <laughs> Curse God and die. And so you think, I, I'm not trying to be mean to the ladies here, but you okay, think if you sorry. have a wife that is a nag, that add that on to what he's already gone through. I, I, I know that sounds funny, but every time I read that, I think if he had a comforting wife like I have, it would be so easy yes. to get through those things. Yes. Instead, he has somebody that is there nagging him. But
1: she came around because had more kids. Well, yeah. that, that one, it
0: doesn't address it. And I thought of that because I just got done with the book of Job again a, a couple days ago. And I thought exactly that. I thought, it doesn't say that that was the wife. Okay, and she had already had seven, and maybe she was old, and you know he might have been in Abraham and had. Oh, uh, just because he had more
1: children.
0: No, no, no. I'm I'm yeah, just simply just saying, saying that it doesn't say it's. Yeah, I, I have lives. no idea. All I know is that that one there gave him a lot of difficulty, and it, it was something he didn't need at that point in his life. But anyway, we'll get off that before I get in any hotter weather. Yeah. Yeah, so okay. It's getting <laughs> warm. We've gone through tribulation. <laughs> now we'll go through distress. <laughs> That's the Greek word stenochoria. This could be equated to being stuck in a tight, confining place. You see that guy? Did you see the one that I showed you on Facebook with the uh, duct tape wrapped to the tree? (laughs) Yes. I couldn't do that. I would would literally lose my mind if somebody did that to me. When I'm confined, I I literally would lose my mind. Okay. But that's kind of what this is. It's a tight, confining place. If one were buried alive, this would be a word which might be used. Okay. If you ever read Poe. If you, it, it, he writes several things about being buried alive. Yeah. Either another person was buried alive or he is buried alive. And I got to tell you what, he knows the darkness of the human soul like nobody I ever read. I haven't read him in years, but I got to tell you what, you want to read somebody that understood <laughs> the, the, the 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 human worst. mind, the worst that guy did, okay? He would describe something like that. There is no freedom of movement, but only the confinement which causes anxiety. In 2 Corinthians 7, verse 5, Paul speaks of the distress he faced. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. The external conflicts caused the internal fears. However, even though we may enter into dire, confining straits, Christ shall lead us to broad spaces where the, there will be eternal freedom of movement. And that's recorded in Psalm eighteen nineteen, among many, many other places in the Bible. But really quickly here, Psalm 18 verse 19 come on charlie 3124 here we are right there 18 verse 19 says one more page says here um, he also brought me out into a broad place he delivered me because he delighted in me okay so if you think of it always in the bible you're going to see the difference between what is narrow what is confining and what is broad and what is liberating okay there is a narrow path okay but it leads to the broad spaces of heaven there's a wide path and it leads to the confines of hell so anytime you think of of what god has done he has made it very limited anybody can get through there but they have to go that way and when you get through it he has given you everything everything is offered and it's just the opposite he said Here's the other way, and the whole world is rushing headlong down that other way, and it's going into the tightest spot you can imagine. So that's the idea we're that's, getting that's here. That's
1: the footing, you know. Yeah. You know, you've got room to move, and he said he brought me up out of that place and set my feet on it. Oh, no. a solid, solid
0: rock. rock. That's exactly right. Yeah. Okay, next one is persecution, which is the Greek word diag- diagmos, which uh, if we walk into life and have others constantly attempting to overtake us and harm us, We are facing persecution the intent is to destroy in name in character or even in person such as the fate of many in the uh, world today as the Islamic and secular world attacks reviles and kills Christians because of their faith in the work of Jesus Christ no matter what they say or do Christ is our advocate okay and he is our place of refuge there should be no fear of what the world can do it is but a light affliction so even persecution can't separate us from the love of God which is found in Christ Jesus okay and that's testified to I got the new uh, it's, I left it on a chair back there I got the new voice of the martyrs in today if you just want to know how good we've got it here yeah. pick that up and read it you know I, I spread them around here and there they, you just pick it up and you read the accounts of what people are going through right now in the world and you think they're willing to go through that for this name of Christ and we're not willing to go out. The guy next door, he's just—they're opening this new Rex restaurant next door, and the the cook came out and he was talking with me today, and he wanted to know what her doctrine was, and he was just—do you believe in the resurrection? Do you believe in—you know—he was just going off, and on the back of his car over there, he's got Jesus is the only way, and all this, and really? good guy. Oh. Anyway, yeah, and he pulled out of his wallet. He was down in Northport, and uh, he was on the sidewalk giving people the gospel and a cop came up and gave him a ticket no
1: yes
0: and so he still got this ticket in his pocket what's it for 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 illegally proselytizing or something which is totally yeah totally illegal because you can stand on any public property in the United States of America capitals are exempt I found that out when I went to the 50 capitals they are exempt but any public property in this country and you can say whatever you want you can't do it with like a bullhorn Okay, because then you're magnifying so, your voice and it becomes a sound ordinance. Mm-hmm. But you can stand there and you can tell anybody anything you want on public property, and they cannot tell you not. So he got the ticket, and you know he he just wasn't going to fight with the guy. But he carries it around in his pocket even now. It was all tattered. He's so obviously he paid the ticket. I have no idea if you paid or not. I don't know. But he got he was ticketed for. You know, Ill- illegally proselytizing. Make sure he
1: brings that to the BMC.
0: Oh, yeah, here. Look what I got here. Here's a <laughs> no reward for me. But I just was like, you know. I can't.
1: That's so funny. Hey,
0: I, I read be. the ticket. And he held it out to me and I read it. So. And it
1: says proselytized? Yeah.
0: It it says the says cop that? wrote it out Did he and he spelled it right.
1: Uh, he said that. The cop do that? Yeah. Um, yeah. I have to talk to Mary Larry.
0: He's right next door. Go over. He's a no, bald I'm, guy. I'm, I'm
1: going to ask. And, okay. I, we, no, a police but officer.
0: I'm it, ask it, it doesn't matter. He did it illegally. That's what I'm saying. You cannot give a person a ticket like that. The cop was in the wrong. Remember when we used to preach out on the beach yeah. and they'd come in, they'd tell us you can't do this. And then the cop would come by and say, yes, every right to be out here, every right. The county people would tuck their tails in their uh, legs yeah, and walk they, away, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. They have no right to tell somebody that they cannot meet publicly on public property anywhere in the United States of America and say what you want to say. But they try They do try to do that, and this one cop gave him a ticket. Whatever he said, yeah, illegally sharing the gospel or some crazy thing like that. Anyway, next one, famine. The Greek word is limos. This is the complete (laughs) deprivation of what is needed to remain alive. It is a lack of food. It is a lack of water. It is the deficiency of nutrition, which can only lead to death. Though we may lack food or water, there is a place awaiting us where there shall be no lack. They shall hunger they shall neither hunger any more nor thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. Revelation seven verse sixteen. We are going to a place that will be wonderful. But in the meantime, famine cannot separate us from the love of God in Christ. The next one is nakedness. The Greek word is gymnotis. This is speaking of a state of immodesty. But uh, I'm sorry, this is not speaking of a state of immodesty, but rather a state of deprivation of the necessities for protection. It is a state of being without any clothing at all. Remember when Paul said to uh, Timothy, make sure that um, somebody brings me my cloak or was it Timothy he said to? Yes. Anyway, it's because he was in a state of deprivation. It's going to get cold. And he needed that cloak to survive through the winter in that Roman jail or wherever he was, okay? So imagine the anguish of being stripped bare in the midst of the heat of the desert or during the falling of a heavy snow. There can only be one end to such treatment, misery followed by death. However, in Christ, we are granted eternal garments with which to cover ourselves. That's explained in Revelation chapter three. Let me see if I can find that very quickly for you. Eternal garments of pure white righteousness. Verse 5, he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Okay, that is written to the individual. The overcomer in Christ is the one who calls on Christ. That is how you overcome. When you overcome by calling on Christ, you are already in that verse you don't need to say well how do I overcome or what if I haven't met the requirements if you've called on Christ it's done okay so don't worry about these warnings in the book of Revelation if you have called on Christ that's speaking to people that may not have that need to but if you have overcome it means that you are in Christ okay don't worry about that one next one is uh, peril it's the Greek word kin kin kin-yas. excuse me This is anything which would cause danger or risk. Uh, If we walk into the ocean, maybe we will step on something with a poison barb. I've done that a million times. If we flee in haste, maybe we will slip and break a limb. If we cut ourselves, maybe we'll get an incurable infection, right? Peril includes anything which is a result of the curse pronounced so long ago upon creation. Whatever is against us as human beings and which could harm us It will be forgotten someday when we are delivered into the paradise god has prepared for his people revelation 21 verse 3 tells us that in the future there shall be no more curse okay everything that's bad in this world is a result of the curse because of the fall of man that is reversed in christ someday it will be realized in us okay just because we're in christ we're not free from that type of thing D.L. moody lost his grandchildren We're going to suffer through this world, but there is a time where this world will pass away, and we will be in a place where there will be no curse at all, okay? And then the sword, uh, it's the Greek word macharia, uh, which is, or machaira. This is surely speaking of the state of martyrdom that many Christians have faced and are facing, and will continue to face. The term, the edge of the sword in Hebrew is actually the mouth of the sword, when you read any time in the Bible, it says he was killed by the edge of the sword. And the Hebrew says he was killed by the mouth of the sword. The sword is a consuming instrument which is never satisfied. Its hunger is only for more death. However, should you, O Christian, face the sword, it can only lead you through the door and into the world where death is swallowed up in victory. Christ has prevailed over such things, so fear not. And that may be coming to us soon enough. We don't know. I mean, it's happened in some churches already in America, and you never know. So if if the sword comes and it devours us, we've got a much better place waiting for us anyway. Okay? Life application. There are a multitude of things which can harm us or kill us, but none of them can prevail over us. In Christ, the battle is already won. If you desire to have your faith strengthened today, take the time to read Hebrews chapter... 11. Thank you. The Hall of Fame of Faith, which tells us of the faith of those who have gone before. All right. All the things that they went through, they were sawn in two. They were this and that. They wandered around naked and hungry and in peril and all of the things and it t- talks about from the first people, right? All the way at the beginning, Enoch. And it goes through Abraham. And it goes through uh, the Rahab the harlot. And all these people that lived by faith. And the prophets. And you want your strength, uh, uh, your faith strengthened and you're kind of lacking? Just go to Hebrews 11 and read it again.
1: Okay? 836. <laughs> as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. All day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Yep,
0: okay. Here Paul returns to the fountain, scripture itself, to continue with the previous thought. This is a quote from Psalm 44. Let me read you that. Verse 22, okay. Psalm 44. Let's see here. We're almost there. 50, not 44. Let's see here. Yep, yep. For your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Awake, why do you sleep, O Lord? arise do not cast us off forever why do you hide your face and forget our affliction and our oppression for our soul is bowed down to the dust our body clings to the ground arise for our help and redeem us for your mercy's sake the psalm is written about the sufferings of the people of Israel the people of God the surrounding nations had attacked and plundered them and the psalmist cried out his plea to God about the matter despite what was happening he reminded God of their faithfulness all looked to the treatment of the New Testament Saints in exactly the same way despite all of the woes which could come against them as was noted in the previous verse they would remain faithful to God in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 9 he highlights a similar similar note concerning the Apostles 1 Corinthians 4 in verse 9 says but as it is written did I say 9 1 I want to make sure I got the right one 1 Corinthians 4 verse 9 Okay, oh, I'm in uh, two. It helps to be in the right verse, uh, chapter. Oh, there it is. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we endure, being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the off-scouring of all things until now. So he's telling about their own sufferings, the apostles of Christ. And, you know, it's not recorded in the Bible, but Christian tradition has it that all of the apostles except John were martyred for their faith. John was boiled in oil, apparently, and he survived through it. But um, uh, anyway, it, we, that's like I say, that's not actually recorded in the Bible. It's just Christian tradition and writings of later people. But it's probably accurate. They they follow their Lord right into the grave, and uh, they will be following him right out when the Lord comes to bring us home. So, uh, by the way, we don't pray to the saints. They're still in their grave waiting for Christ to raise them. Okay, we don't pray to Mary. Right, everybody got that? Yes. No Mary no saints okay yeah he's got it okay so um let's see here um so we've highlighted the apostles and what they went through and he says for your sake paul writing in verse 36 for your sake means god and it is related to the gospel message found in christ jesus because of our obedience to this glorious display of love we are killed all day long this isn't just hyperbole Christians were already being singled out and martyred for their faith at Paul's time from Stephen, who is the first recorded martyr in Acts 7 verse 60 the slaughter of Christians has gone on unabated for 2,000 years the floor of the Roman Colosseum is still stained with blood which flowed there eons ago if you go to the Roman Colosseum the floors there still are tainted with the blood it wasn't just Christians but a lot of Christians died there Okay, all day long, Paul's writing is an idiom which means ceaselessly. The blood flows and the people's faith remains and is strengthened. The surety of eternal life in Christ makes such suffering not only tolerable, but acceptable to the one facing the ordeal. Because it is, we are, Paul says, accounted as sheep for the slaughter. A sheep is an animal that will simply follow where it is led without any question at all. They don't run away as they approach their doom. Instead, they obediently walk behind the shepherd where he leads. The thought being relayed is that where Christ leads, be it life of length and green pastures or to a slaughterhouse for his glory, his sheep will follow. The reason isn't because of blind faith. The reason is because of revealed light. Christ is risen and those in Christ will rise. What can man do to me? Christ is on my side. He can't do anything. Man can do absolutely nothing to me. Life application. A Christian's life of prosperity and ease doesn't indicate God loves that person more than the one that is suffering in a dirty prison cell awaiting execution. Should the comfortable life that you you face suddenly come to a screeching halt and persecution comes to your door, Will you still be thankful and will willingly follow the shepherd got to think about it now because we have no idea what tomorrow will bring. We have no idea. People all over the world have gone down that path and they're going down that path every single day. You know you think of that one girl that was uh, at the Columbine and the I was guy says thinking yeah
1: that, Charlie I was thinking that yes
0: there you go yeah yes. he, he put the gun up to her head and he says uh you're a Christian right and said, "Oh yeah." He says, "Well, why don't you re- reject him now?" And she said, "No." And he shot her. Never she did. wasn't willing to it. You know, she knew it was coming too. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, is that what you're willing to do, or are you gonna say, "Well, I don't know." I'm, yeah. you know, I remember uh, watching a, a video just uh, when ISIS was doing all of its really get going killings about two years ago, and mm-hmm. there's a, a a guy from a Christian congregation in Iraq. And they were asking people to recant, and he, he recanted. And then they said, they made him say, the there's no God but Allah, and uh, Muhammad is his only prophet. And then they killed him anyway. Well, what a waste that was. Holy mm-hmm. mackerel. You know what I mean? So uh, if, if you're going to face death, face it proudly for Christ. Oh, my goodness. 837.
1: 37. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. To him who loved us.
0: Oh boy, yeah, same, it says almost identical. Okay, 837, in verse 35, the list of these things was given, and then he gave the list. It included seven things which are contrary to us, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, and sword. Because these come against us as faithful believers, we are accounted in the next verse as sheep for the slaughter. The world may laugh at our faithfulness to God, even in these attacks against us, and even to the point of martyrdom, but Paul says, despite such mocking, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors. The word he uses for more than conquerors is hypernikomen. It comes from two other Greek words, hyper, which we use to translate as hyper, okay, and nikau, meaning victory. The word nikau is the basis for the word Nike Nike, thank you the God of victory and a good athletic shoe for most people but not for me okay (laughs) the uh, idea which we are given is that we are hyper victorious through him who loved us Through him implies that we are in no way victorious on our own now
1: people need to understand why they're not for you
0: yeah every somebody's watching this video and they don't know that I'm barefoot then they haven't been attending church long enough. They need to well, pay do attention. Show
1: yeah. all the time? No. Well,
0: I don't know. I'm not going to hold them up because no. the bottom of them are probably yeah, pretty they dirty. They don't show. But...
1: I didn't know that until I started coming. Oh,
0: is that right? See? Yeah, no. There, there's no. I say
1: it during the Prophecy Update right. all the time. All but still, time. why all the shoes behind the pulpit? There? Oh, those are just in case. I mean, <laughs> there's like four <laughs> pairs underneath there. Yeah. Did my oh, like, because
0: you people know, gave them, I'm gave I'm them to me and I'm just like, okay, and I throw them down there and I thought, well, I might as well leave them here because this is the most likely place I'm Gonna have to get you know whatever, but no, <laughs> no shoes, no. no, not gonna happen anyway. Yeah, so uh, like now you got me all off.
1: Like, <laughs> sorry,
0: hey, you all no, these no, things no. We're more than conquerors. Yeah, we are more than conquerors. Okay, that's right. Hyper victorious through Him who loved us. Through Him, oh, that's right. That's where I was. Implies that we are no way victorious on our own. That's not gonna happen without Christ. Those seven words of woe would overcome us and our life journey would be ended. But in Christ, they can't even be considered minor setbacks. Okay? In fact, the trials and perils we face when uh when faced in Christ and for Christ only makes the victory sweeter and they serve to complement the hyperness of the already supreme victory. As Paul notes in Philippians 4:13, I, I can do all things in there, Christ. There you go. I can do all things in Christ. Who strengthens me. Yes, in Christ, we are more than
1: conquerors. You know, mine has overwhelmingly.
0: Overwhelmingly. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. it's hyper-victorious, overwhelmingly. I love it. Okay, go That's, ahead. That, oh, it, life application.
1: John sixteen thirty three. You know, I've overcome the world. He says in the world, you're going to have tribulation. But right. Right here, I've overcome
0: the world. I have overcome the world so we're and
1: overcomers we're
0: over- we are overcomers yes. in Christ oh, yeah. 100% who is it that overcomes but he who believes that uh, Jesus, is the, Jesus is the Christ the Son of God that's exactly that's how you become an overcomer is by believing in the person and work of Christ okay if you've done that you don't need to worry about the things that it say in Revelation 2 and 3 to the church if you overcome you will receive this and if you overcome you'll receive that Thaw it ears it is already yours, coming soon to uh, glorification near you. okay. Life application, be sure to rightly apply Romans 8:37. When Paul says that we are more than conquerors in Christ, he does it in a verse beginning with yet. To understand the context, we need to evaluate what verses are being tied to it. In the case of this verse, it is tied to suffering. If you suffer, know that your suffering is already defeated. Through Christ who strengthens you, the victory is already assured. And I like to put life applications like that in there from time to time because how many times has that verse been taken and ripped completely out of its context? And they do these flowery sermons that talk about uh, you're a victor in Christ and you can do all things through Christ. Now go out and do the same when he's talking about suffering. He's speaking about you are a victor in Christ through your suffering. Preach that from the pulpit and see how many people show up next week. Your life, life application, prosperity gospel. You, you know what I'm saying? The Joel Osteen kind of thing. Hey, you're a victor in Christ, and you can go out and you can get a BMW next week. And it's not at all what he's speaking about. Leave the verse in its context. It's speaking about suffering, tribulation, and yet we are conquerors through that. Okay. Prince
1: Habner says that most Christians that amount to anything go through suffering. That's right that's what he says you got to count that as a blessing it, it's if, a blessing
0: yes. it, it, that's 100% right is that you know it, the guy next door he, he talked a lot in a very short amount of time uh, I just met him for 20 minutes today when Who's he was that um, uh, what's that oh I know <laughs> exactly um, but he said that uh, he said that he was in New York City okay and he had he was on his way down to Long Island He's in New York City, and he was working for the um, the city or the state or something. He was in there, and he was a cleaner. He was mopping and cleaning and all this, and he did this for months and months. And finally, they called him, and they said, um, uh, up to the office, and went and reported, and he says, yeah. And he said, uh, you have to take that thing off of your locker. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens Aww. me. Really? And he said, now, wait a minute. We've got people with naked women on their lockers. We've got, you know, all these different things. And he says, you're telling me I can't have that on there? And they said, you need to take it off. And he says, I'm not going to. Okay. And he left and they called him later and they says, "Um, we're going to be decreasing your hours. And he said, well, how much? And he said, two hours a week. And he said, well, that's not going to work. So, you know, now he could have probably sued them for a lot of money and and retired, but he didn't. He's not the type to do that. And so he left the job and now he's going to long island to look for a new job and on his way down there his friend calls him and says listen i know we haven't talked for a while do you remember he says yes he says i've got i I need somebody to work for me and i mean the lord provided that quickly so faithfulness you know wonderful stuff okay i i love hearing stories like that as a matter of fact i preempted him i said your friend called you for a job then he says i said i've seen that many times in my life where the lord Immediately. It's not always going to happen. So if you're watching, don't expect that to happen. It may happen. And if it does, thank him. And if it doesn't, he's got something better for you down the road. Okay? He will meet, as Tom says, every Saturday when we're out in the mission work, he says he will meet every need, not every want. Okay? He will meet your needs. He's promised that. So the
1: servant of Abraham said, fight was praying? Oh yeah. She came.
0: She came, yeah, absolutely. Even P- while I was
1: praying. Even here, while I was praying. <laughs> That's right. Okay,
0: eight thirty-eight.
1: Yes. Well, we are. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers. You better read them all. Oh, I see, because, yeah, it,
0: yours is structured differently. Okay, okay so I'll mine just if you want. No, no, no. Mine it, it reads it differently. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor thing present, nor things to come. Okay, so it's a, it's a little differently it's a little structured, good. but no, okay.
1: Nor
0: high. Uh, well, we're not there yet, because that's the next <laughs> verse. You're trying to jump ahead of me, and you're going to get a knuckle sandwich. Okay, uh, let's see here. This is the first half of a two-part— Two-part thought, yeah, brilliant, which brilliant. sums up Paul's thoughts in Romans chapter 8. Okay, so we have to go through both of these verses before we close today. Uh-huh. Uh, two-part thought in Romans, he's summing up chapter, it wasn't chapter 8 a wonderful chapter. What? I mean, marvelous it stuff is. in there is. there. It is. Yeah, but we're, yeah, we're still in it, so for a couple more minutes. Anyway, Paul, whose credentials were well known at the time of the writing of this epistle, For example, please refer to Philippians 3, 4, and 6. We'll go there instead of just referring you there because it's short little verses. Philippians 3. What am I said there? 3, what? 4 through 6. Okay, 3, 4 through 6. Though I might uh, have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the the, where tribe, am I? Tribe. Oh, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Okay, that's his qualifications. I don't know why. It's just funny when the light is hitting it just right. I couldn't even see the words that you said. in, oh, really? in I don't know. It must be the glasses or something. I don't know. uh, What's that? Optometrist. Optometrist. No, the glasses, I can see everything. It's just those two words. I couldn't even see them. Anyway, uh, let's see here. Um, uh, Okay, so that's his qualifications. Um, I'll read that again. Paul, whose credentials were well known at the time of the writing of this epistle, looked at the world around him, both the spiritual world and the physical world, and compared it to his position in Christ. In his joy and in the surety of his salvation, he wrote words which are as true to us as they were to him. I am persuaded. In essence, he is saying, based on everything I know and how it relates to my position in Christ, I will submit the following. And then he goes on. I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor power nor things present nor things to come. None of these things have the power to interfere with what will be stated in verse 39. All of these things are found in creation and therefore are under the control of the Creator. All of these things are found also within the stream of time, which is a part of creation. And therefore, from the beginning to the end, nothing has the ability to affect that which Paul will reveal in the next verse. Life application, God is the creator of all things. The creation consists of temporal things, such as time, space, and matter. It also consists of spiritual things, such as angels and the realm in which they exist. If you are in Christ, then you are secure apart from all of these things. Have faith that your security is beyond the grasp of anything in creation, and that includes yourself okay that's the important thing to remember because if you can believe in loss of salvation then you are including yourself in the equation okay salvation is not of works it is of faith in christ and if you have to do something to keep being saved then it is of works it doesn't matter when the work comes whether it's at the beginning or it's at any time along the way if you have to do something to keep being saved then it was not a faith to begin with there is nothing in creation, including yourself, that can have you separated from God once you were saved by Jesus Christ. You have to keep okay. working
1: for it. It certainly wasn't free.
0: That's, it was not free. If you have to work for it, it was not free. Okay? Think of it. Think of anything in the world. Somebody gives you something, and you said, I'm giving you this pair of shoes because you believe that uh, blah, blah, blah. And then three years down the line, you didn't do something to keep the shoes, and he comes and takes them away, then it wasn't a gift at all it was your work that you had to do to keep those shoes so it wasn't a gift think it through people need to think that issue through anybody that teaches that you can lose your salvation is not handling the word of god properly that is all there is to it it is bondage it is bad handling of scripture it means that what god has done in christ is not sufficient for your salvation okay just think it through Go ahead, 839, we're going to finish regardless of how long we do, because I'm not starting chapter 9 today.
1: Neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord.
0: Nothing, absolutely nothing, including you. Romans 839 should be cited together with 838 to give the full sense. So Jim is going to read it both right
1: now. Okay. Uh, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, Neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither the height or depth or depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.
0: Okay. These are amazing words which we can cling to throughout our walk in this veil of tears and trials. The apostle, a man who had the highest credentials within the Jewish society, which I read you a moment ago. And a man who had been personally called and ordained by the risen Christ for carrying the gospel message to Gentiles, kings, and the children of israel acts nine fifteen then suffered immense trials for the name of Jesus. He knew with absolute certainty of his calling and the hope of glory to come, fully convinced and assured he cites a list of 10 things which can in no way separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The list from 838 continues here in 839. Neither height nor depth could be speaking of a variety of things, heaven or hell, angelic forces or demon, demonic forces, the highest prosperity or the lowest poverty, and so on. Whichever Paul intended, it is understood that That from the highest point of that concept to the very lowest and thus anywhere in between there is a complete assurance in jesus christ at no level could there be the introduction of something to steal us away from our lord nor any other created thing he goes on includes anything that isn't listed in his note god is the creator anything other than god is created therefore nothing absolutely nothing can ever separate us from the love that has bound us to him, a love that is found in Jesus Christ. This is the assurance of the one who has believed in Jesus and has been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, of promise, a guarantee, Ephesians 1, 13, and 14. Remember what I said, if he sealed you with the Spirit and it's a guarantee according to the word of God and he takes it back, then it was a... A faulty guarantee, a crummy one. It was a really crummy one because God reneged on the guarantee and he would never do it. It is against the nature of God to violate his own word. He will never do it. This is an extension of who he is. Okay, this word was given by him and everything that it says is revealed by him for our benefit, not for our confusion, not for our inability to say, I can't accept this and I can't accept that. Everything here is something that we can accept. It has to be taken in the proper context, and we're dispensationalists here. I hope everybody is. If you're not, that's fine. But dispensationalism says that God worked a certain way here and a certain way here and a certain way here. And so the law of Moses is the word of God, but it does not pertain to the people of God today in the same way it pertained when it was written. We cannot reintroduce a fulfilled law into our theology. Christ is the end of the law for all who believe it's done okay so not everything in the bible pertains to us in the same way at the same time but it is all the word of god and it is given to us to give us a full understanding of what god has done throughout the dispensations of time okay everybody understand that where do we get our doctrine for the church age today awesome. paul the apostle of Paul. That is where church doctrine is. He is the apostle to the Gentiles. Peter is the apostle to the Jesus. circumcision, he says, but yes, the Jews. Okay. The circumcision means the Jews. Okay. We get our doctrine from the hand of Paul. Everything that we have for our marching orders comes from him. And that is it. Everything else is for our edification. It's for our understanding It's for our righteous, our uh, work of righteousness and Everything that Paul says about that in what two Timothy three sixteen right? Read that so you know what I'm talking about, and then uh, uh, you'll understand. One Timothy two three sixteen. Um, oh, I'm in one Timothy. I've got to be in two. It always helps to be in the right book. I've done that three times tonight. Okay, um, all Scripture. All scripture is given by inspiration of God that means it is an extension of himself all of it every word of it and is profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete thoroughly equipped for every good work now when he wrote that what was scripture letters it was no when he wrote that scripture was the Old Testament Testament, okay they didn't have they may have had the Gospels but they were just being circulated at that time some of the letters had been written but they probably were not actually concerned this is the Word of God (laughs) eventually they realized that the canonicity was determined and the Word of God was sealed with the 66 books of the Bible but When that was written, Paul was writing the doctrine for the church age. Until it was written, all they had was the Old Testament saying, this is Christ coming. This is something that's showing us. And we see hints of the gospel all the way through the Old Testament. We see it every Sunday, don't we? Pat sits there, and I love to watch her when I'm giving a sermon because she sits with her eyes closed. And she's absorbing everything she can. Right. And then Linda's always over there sleeping there, true running down oh her face. Okay. Marriage. No, that's not true. Anyway, um but uh uh yeah, the we, we see hints of the gospel all the way through, all the way through the old testament. But the doctrine that we use for our church age doctrine must come from Paul because he is the apostle to the Gentiles. The church was starting. So, That's but, right. You know, you're
1: not going to have doctrine for the church in the Old Testament. That's right. Because...
0: But as he wrote the letters, it was because people were falling away from what he had mm-hmm. instructed them. And so God used his letters, which were an extension of what he had on his mind that he had already told them in person or that he was telling them for their edification. I'm not there yet. I've never been to Rome, but this is. And so it's brilliant how God gave us the word of God, mm-hmm. especially the New Testament, which is for our instruct It's absolutely brilliant. Anyway, long diversion. Sorry about that. But um, uh, where was that uh, height or depth? I said that. And uh, uh, nothing can separate us from the love which is found in Jesus Christ. This is the assurance of the one who is believed. This verse is an absolute guarantee of eternal salvation. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, which I cited a mo- moment ago. It's an absolute guarantee of eternal salvation. How somebody can read Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 and not see what God has done and that it is eternal, I don't understand. Because it says that you were sealed the moment you believe, and it's a guarantee. End of story. Just accept it at face value, and any verse which seems to contradict that, you need to go back and you need to understand the context of it, especially the book of Hebrews, which is written to the Jesus. to the Hebrews. That's right. So it, it, it is for our edification, it's for our understanding, but it's written for a different group of people with a different context. Purpose. Okay, so uh, Hebrews chapter 6, which has a couple of very difficult verses, they don't contradict the Word of God, they support the Word of God, but they're written to a different group of people with a different intent in mind. Okay, so this verse is our guarantee nothing can separate us from the one to whom we have been joined. Life application, just in time. The notion that one can lose their salvation is so far removed from the teaching of Scripture that it is unimaginable that the idea could ever be contemplated much less taught but it is Mm -hmm. don't let anyone ever steal from you the joy of your salvation instead know that the God who called you has also justified you and he has in his mind already glorified thank you he's already glorified you it is done in Paul's mind when he wrote those words back earlier in chapter 8. Let nothing ever take away this assurance from you. It is done. It is done. Christ has ended it, and we are saved, and thank God for Jesus Christ. Let me circle this, and um, we've got five minutes of time left. Is there any one particular thing that we can go over for five minutes? If not, then we're just going to close in prayer. I have a time. question.
1: Okay. Um, when the, uh, the books were put together, um, Yes. that was done well, they were compiled, and it,
0: it, it's a long study. It, it, it's actually like a full course in college to get through it. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, they were compiled. Certain books were considered canon at certain times. Certain books were um, uh, rejected by certain groups. Okay, you've got certain lists that are close to the current canon. You've got some that drop out this and that. Um, uh, the last one to be included, I think, and don't don't quote me on this, but I think it was two Peter was the last one to be decided on. But eventually I think it was the Council of Nicaea in 350 AD which actually resolved this is canon it was done by the group of people and that you know to this day some people hold to the book of Enoch as inspired it is not okay it's a pseudepigraphal book but um, uh, there there is assurance in the canon the apocrypha which the Catholics had in their Bible and was in the original King James Bible was never considered canon never okay jerome as a matter of fact when he translated the bible he says this will be included in the canon of scripture over my dead body okay the catholic church actually made it canon at trent in 1546 okay it was after oh long after i mean it was 1500 years later but the reason why they did that was it was always in the bible but it was not considered a part of the 66 books of canon but they included those for a couple of things, purgatory, um, uh, you know, a few things that would help their cause that Martin Luther and the reformers got against. But once again, this is kind of a brief overview, and I haven't studied that in Ten years, but I believe that the final canon was determined at, at uh, Nicaea in three fifty A.D. Go online, type it in, and it'll tell you that. But yeah. it was not always. Oh, these are the books of, of the New Testament. They were some were argued over. Some, like I said, were left out of this list, and some were in this list. But eventually, they realized there's a couple things that require canonicity. One is it has to have the the stamp of God on it. Okay, it has to have the power of God. It has to be written by a man of God okay that there, there are these certain requirements that they say these things must be the case okay so we can throw out some of the books simply by knowing it wasn't written by a prophet of god or an apostle of god all right no no scripture is introduced after the apostolic age god did his work through the apostles just like he did through the old testament prophets and it was done and that's why i'm adamant about god's revealed word it is done he is not speaking any longer. Hebrews 1 says as much, okay? God in past times spoke through these people. Now he has spoken through Jesus Christ. Well, who saw Jesus Christ? That was one of the requirements for being a right. apostle, was... Vis, visibly seeing and learning from christ and paul even says i saw him as one born out of time i think he said or born out of in anyway season. out of season thank you and so paul is a special case that was brought in by god for a special purpose it is called the church okay oh, perfect we're done let's go ahead and say a prayer and uh, Lord God, it is so good to have gone through Romans chapter 8. What a blessing. What a comfort it is for us if we can just let those words sink into our minds, sink into our hearts, and and fill us with the reassurance that we have. We've got our brother Nick out in uh, uh, San Diego, and he's been laying around for years unable to do anything, but he's grounded in your word. And when he goes through his own times of emotional or personal distress because of these things, I know he can go to Romans chapter 8. We've got Paul who's here on this coast and he's going through his own type of distress. And yet he can come to Romans chapter 8 and he can be uplifted and he can say, This is not the end of me. I've got a greater hope. And it's something that each and every one of us can hold on to and we can be thankful for. Lord, uh, Amanda just came to mind. She asked for prayer last week, and I would pray that uh, we would continue to have her and all other people that are going through their own troubles in our hearts, even if it's a general prayer, Lord, we pray for the church. You know every person in it, and you know their needs. You know their desires and their hopes, and so we pray for each and every one of them. Oh, a couple people that just came to mind are over in Ireland and Scotland that have had some troubles in the past week, and one of them we got good news this morning after maybe some stressful news, and uh, uh, Lord, we just thank you that you're with all of these people. So just be with them, help them through their troubles, and just thank you, Thank you for Jesus and the hope that we possess, which is an eternal one, and not based on this failing body and this this miserable life. Lord, we love you, we exalt you, and we do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Woo-woo. Okay, let's see here. We're going to go to break. Hang on. I've got to do something here. That didn't work, so let me go to Bible study. Okay, Sergio. This thing is not moving. Ah, thank you. All right. Okay. Uh, you got to back this thing up. It's not working. All right. Anyway, we're sorry. We'll just wish everybody a wonderful week and uh, be blessed in your hearts and souls. Okay. We'll see you later.
1: No, it's a magnet. So I don't have to. I can just put thing on my. Oh, I thought maybe it was one of
0: those. Okay, I've got to tell him that 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 I don't think he's there. I think uh, I think it just was delayed or something. So I, he turned it instead of me and I knew that was going to cause a problem. It just I, I said to myself, I know something's going to happen at the end of the class, so I need to tell him that that happened and he's got to figure out what's going to resolve. Like
1: put shoes on.
0: No shoes.
1: No, I'm actually not going to wear any next time. No. No shoes. No shoes. No shoes. Okay. <laughs> I didn't have it's a encouraging story.